technologies that you've got in you you're in the node.js and mm -hmm. react right uh yeah uh, golang as well we we use go quite a bit at my job okay and do you use uh graphql uh yeah we do use uh graphql actually um that's something that I've helped implement recently. So we have a, a Go GraphQL server. It's commonly that people are using Node.js and Apollo for their GraphQL servers, but because we're a Go shop, um, we used a different library for that, but similar API. Now, what, um, maybe we could just start with, what is the React model? Uh, is it following the observable pattern that was established by RSJX, where you're like watching a, a data stream and then based on some events or something that uh, you can put things on the stream or grab things off of the stream, uh, like in a subscriber model. Can you talk about what is React? Sure. Yeah. Well, first, let me give just a, a simple definition of React. Um, so React is a, a JavaScript framework for building single page applications, a lot like um, Angular or Vue. Um, it's declarative though, and favors functional programming, and it features a, a virtual DOM and unidirectional data flow. So what we're talking about here with the, the subscription is, is the unidirectional data flow. You can use something like RxJS with, with React. I never personally have, but I think that would be perfectly possible to do. However, most people, I don't think that the React community has really embraced RxJS, I guess I would say. Yeah, uh, I was almost at one time thinking that RsGX. I was actually thinking that I should just uh, build a new framework just off of RsGX. Yeah. Because it, it seemed like that was going to be the universal language underneath it. Because, you know, the, the switch from programming to uh, kind of like callbacks and and uh, things to more of a uh, observable pattern seemed like that was just the way to go. You know, it's just, he did every almost conceivable pattern that you could imagine. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I thought for sure that people were gonna just build right up off RSJX, but it didn't seem like it happened. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly why that is because it does provide uh, some really nice uh, patterns where you can build almost anything. Um, for whatever reason, the the React community has embraced mostly Redux to um, do something similar to RxJS, where you can subscribe to things. Um, but Redux, I would say, has more has more boilerplate, has more code that you implement yourself. But because of that, there's a little more clarity in what's going on when you need to troubleshoot things. Whereas RxJS kind of abstracts those things away from you which is nice because you don't have to implement them. But if there is trouble, it's a little harder to dig into. You said um, declarative programming. And uh, um, I do a little bit of, I'm doing it in Swift. I, I'll uh, eventually invest all my UI into Swift. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, I'm hearing a lot from Swift developers, especially with Swift UI, is declarative programming. Can you talk a little bit on uh, declarative programming and, and React? Of course. Yeah. Um, declarative programming with React has to do with how it renders things. Um, when you render a component in React, you write JSX. JSX is something that looks kind of like HTML. But there are a few differences there. 
Um, the major one is that you can render your own custom elements, essentially, which are other JSX components. Um, so rather than trying to do something imperatively and trying to say, if the DOM meets this condition, then I want you to do this thing or that, or, or having a lot of if statements or trying to see what the current state of things is and then modify it accordingly. Declarative just means I want to div and let React take care of however we need to get to that state. If there's already a div, it will ignore it. If there isn't one, it will create it. If some attribute has changed on that div, it will update it. But you as a developer don't really need to get that div out of the DOM and manipulate it yourself. You just say, I want a div with this tag or something, with this ID, as an example. That's great. And um, um, are you finding that um, React is meeting your expectations or uh, with the declarative programming or, or are you finding that, um, is it the next generation of web development, would you say? That's a good question. As far as if it's meeting my expectations with uh, declarative programming, yes, it simplifies things a lot when you, when you can just be declarative and you don't have to worry about the current state of the DOM when you're trying to update things. There is some pain points, though, when you're trying to use libraries um, that don't work that way. They're not declarative. And to try and make React work with those things can be kind of hard because you have to um, query those things and then declaratively state what you want the DOM to look like based off of the results of something. An example of that would be uh, high charts. Um, it's a graphing library, a charting library for JavaScript. And because it's not really built in React, you've got to query what is the current state of the graph and then adjust accordingly. And that can be kind of hard to implement the two. But if you are using things that are built for React that are declarative, it's, it's a really a joy to work with. Um, Material UI is a common component library that I think a lot of people use. And uh, it's, it's very easy to use, very easy to get going with things. They have lots of components where you can build a site very quickly, customize it exactly how you want. Kind of like the, the new Bootstrap, I guess. Um, Bootstrap's probably still more popular, but I think Material UI is gaining ground for someone that wants to prototype an interface really quickly, declaratively in React. That's nice. Um, so when you're, I know that with React, you can mix it um, with Angular. And one of the nice things about Angular, which I thought it was going to be the universal platform. I thought it was going to be the platform for desktop, for mobile for um, tablet it, it just you know looked good it managed state really well um, the router looked you know this router's nice you can pass things down into com into the component but it was um, how how do you see redux uh, for managing your state you do you like it or do you find it difficult with the, the one-way um, the data flow passing yeah mm -hmm. uh, good question I would say that one of the most common mistakes that people make when they are uh, just getting started with react is probably embracing redux too early because it's a little bit of a heavy-handed solution there's a lot of boilerplate for it 
um, in order to be able to implement something. And if you want to try and do something like network requests or asynchronous actions, you need Redux middleware, which adds further complications to things. And really most smaller projects may never even need Redux. It is something that's probably necessary after you get into a really large enterprise application. Um, but a lot of things can just be alleviated by local state inside your component. That's probably the first thing that you, you're going to use. Um, or possibly, if you're using GraphQL, um, Apollo will provide kind of a state for all of your, your GraphQL queries. So your data that you've got from the server can just be stored and easily queried from Apollo as if it were kind of like a Redux store, essentially. Um, which makes it really convenient. At, at my current job, we actually still have not implemented Redux. And I've been there about 10 months. I started the project from scratch. But it's just because Apollo has provided us with enough state by just caching network requests for us and providing those in a central store that we haven't really needed it. So Redux is a great tool, but I would say wait until you need it. Yeah, I... I uh... Um, I did use Redux uh, on a small React project, and uh, I found it hard to understand because of the terminology mm -hmm. um, and the state. When I uh, you press the back button, it didn't seem to sustain state very well. Um, did you? Can you talk a little bit about GraphQL? Uh, what you're what you're liking? Why did you choose that over other types of endpoint technologies? Sure. Yeah. Very good question. Um, we were building a metrics endpoint at work. We needed something where we could query for a lot of, um, like we were querying a time series database essentially. So we just wanted to be able to customize a lot of parameters. We wanted to say, here is the metric that we want, here's the start date that we want, here's the end date that we want. But then different metrics have different attributes. Some metrics were more like a total that you would get just a single number. And then some would be something we would more display along a graph, so it would return a series of data points. And GraphQL gave us that, um, that flexibility to be able to easily define a resolver that took a lot of different inputs so we could, we could specify the metric type, start date, end date, the user that we were looking for. And it went all into one single function because there was a lot of very similar code there when you're just querying a database for just essentially a few different columns. Um, so GraphQL allowed us to have a much drier solution. We were able to consolidate code a lot easier. And we were also able to minimize network request that we were making. It's all just one single network request currently. Mm. It, it could be broken up into multiple if we, if we wanted to very easily with GraphQL, but uh, just in the interest of not having a lot of very small network requests, we currently batch it all together, which is not something that would be very easy with REST, having a single REST endpoint for all of your metrics. That's made it really nice to work with with GraphQL. Yeah, it seems like GraphQL is the... Uh... It could be a replacement to REST. Um, it seems like uh, REST in its basic form is very simple. You just have your, your just your verbs. Um, but it then gets kind of challenging when you start throwing in patch versus put. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then there there's some confusion even in the naming convention. Give me an example, like uh, what would the GraphQL uh, endpoint call look like? Sure. Well, everything in GraphQL is a single endpoint. That's kind of how it would look from a, a REST perspective, I guess. Your people commonly call it slash GraphQL. That's where everything goes. Um, everything is a, a post request, actually, because everything has a body. Okay. That you send. Oh, nice. Yeah, exactly. There, There's no query parameters in the URL. Every request is just to slash GraphQL. Um, you always send a body with the any information that's needed to make the request, like a user ID or something, for example. But you also send fields that you want returned back to you, which makes it so the network request is very efficient. You don't ever get extra data that you've got to discard, or you don't ever have to make two network requests and awkwardly try to combine things in the front end as best you can. You can just, it's more declarative again, which goes along with, with React, where you can just say, I want an object that looks like this. Make the request, and your object comes back filled in. That's excellent. You know, I, I see sometimes when I uh, do, I, I'm a C-sharp developer, so I see with Web API, uh, where they needed to pass the body across in the get statement. And so they actually, you're doing a, a post, but it was, you're, you're returning back uh, the ver verb of the get. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's very confusing at times because you like see a post, but then it's a get. And you're like, is that right? You know, uh -huh. and, and you look at the verbiage and it's like, uh, because they can alias the function underneath, and, the, and it has the word "get" on it. And then, then you understand. I, I, I think, uh, I think that's really cool. Um, so, when you got started, I noticed that you you've ever been on really fast track uh, into web development. Is that where you want to be, or are you planning to move into machine learning and AI and stuff like that, or where, where's your interest? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, it is in web development, um, certainly, as my, my primary focus. As, I guess you could say, a secondary focus, I've, I've been very curious about blockchain recently. Uh, obviously, machine learning, because I work for a machine learning company. That has been something that's been, been very nice to work with. I sit right across from our data scientists, so I get to talk with them all day long about the things that they're working on, help them implement things to an extent, um, at least help them with the infrastructure and getting their models deployed, that sort of thing. Um, I would say my goal has been to become a full stack developer. I initially started out as more front end, but this is my, my first job where I'm a full stack engineer. And that's where I'd like to be. I like, I have a very broad interest in things, I guess. I like to have uh, a little bit of knowledge front to back how everything works and how everything's how everything's going on so as far as as far as my main concern full stack i i'm mostly where i'm at i just want to hone my craft a little bit more and get a little better long term it seems like oh sorry go ahead continue oh, i just thought you're pausing for a second yeah go ahead all i was going to say is long term uh, i think either machine learning or blockchain would be kind of my secondary focus that i'd like to have interest in, in technology I tell you, blockchain has caught a lot of people's attention because, uh, you know, security is so critical to applications where you're on the web. You've got to, you know, you've got to protect your information. And, uh, 
the um, the blockchain authentication process seems like the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, can you briefly explain the process of blockchain? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm uh, a good authority on blockchain yet uh, to really comment too much on the process. And it depends a lot. It's such a general technology, I guess, that it can be used in so many different ways. I, a short explanation would just be that um, with a blockchain, you are adding information on top of other information, chaining it all together. And you do it in such a way that the information, a block of information cannot be taken out of the middle and restructured. Only things can be added on top of it, which allows it to work really great as something like a ledger um, with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. They can just have uh, a record of all of the transactions that have happened and nothing can be changed in the past. So really, it's just an application of think of something you would want to record permanently. And that works well for legal contracts. Um, that works well for medical records, even a, a lot of things that, that you might want to keep permanent like that. Well, thanks for that explanation. Uh, I've talked to an individual about Bitcoin, and he did mention blockchain, uh, but it was just almost as if it was the structure so it was something that is somewhat hidden away you don't really think about blockchain it's there it's working you know but you don't you don't uh think about it uh in terms of when you're coding or or building things it's it's just being used Mm -hmm. Uh, is that true or is that uh sound like you have to change the way you program to do blockchain i think that would be true if you're working exclusively with bitcoin you're more focused on the end technology that happens to be backed by blockchain. Okay. I'm a little bit more interested in something like smart contracts. Smart contracts are something where two parties can agree to do something in the future if certain conditions are met, and a machine can automatically fill those contracts. Uh, If I commit to a, a purchase order or something that a company will deliver a product to me in six months and I will, I will pay them. You could use a smart contract to set all of that up and have that be backed by blockchain. In that case, you'd probably be a little bit more involved with blockchain than you might be if you were just say mining bitcoins. Um, is that, is that a good example? Does that clarify things? Yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, you know, you're in a really amazing area. You're in Silicon Valley. You know, uh, I, I work down in Silicon Slopes. That's in Utah. And um, could you talk on a little bit about, like, why is Silicon Valley such a great place to work? Oh, that's a really good question. I, my past job, um, which I left about a year ago, was actually in Silicon Slopes in Lehigh. So I can kind of speak to both areas, really, about the okay. cons, the differences of them. Um, As far as why Silicon Valley here is such a a great place to be, there's kind of a chicken and egg situation here, I think. Um, This is where all the investors are. And investors, I have learned since being here, are actually, even though they're investing in these cutting-edge technology companies, they really value face-to-face interaction. They're not extremely high-tech. They mostly work off of Uh, referrals from other people they talk to each other often it's not so much like you might think that they are 
analyzing a lot of numbers on their computer continually, that kind of thing. It's, it's really very much who you know here. And because yeah. everyone lives here, that's where the tech companies need to be. And because the tech companies are here, that's where the investors need to be. It kind of works both ways. Um, so they kind of feed into each other. Do you, do you like the, um, uh, is there, is it more engineers in that area than in the Utah area? Or would you say it's not really about the talent base as much as it is about the investors? I, I think you just said that you felt like it was because the invest, you're closer to the investors. And uh, so the people who are actually owning the products are, are interacting based on referral base. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I would say, I guess that as far as if there are more engineers, I'm sure there's more total engineers here in, in Silicon Valley. More engineers per capita or something than, than like Lehigh itself? I'm not so sure. About yeah. That. They're probably kind of similar. Yeah, they're pulling. Lehigh is really pulling a lot from BYU, Utah uh, <laughs> Valley Community College. A lot of consulting companies have set up camp there and they're you know recruiting people from other areas and asking them to come to Silicon Slopes. Uh, but I don't know if it just it has it's starting to get the reputation. There's a lot of money that's flowing in. A lot of startup companies are you know that are building their companies there. So there must be a talent pool they can draw on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been kind of interesting here to uh, when I tell people that I was from Lehigh prior to this, they know what I'm talking about, and they'll mention companies in the area. Oh, do you know this company or that company? Oh, yeah, I I work by them. Or they'll tell me that they have themselves they have a branch that's in lehigh something like that which is pretty awesome yeah sounds pretty cool um so you said GraphQL, uh react uh what about node can you talk a little bit about node why why node what is uh you know i guess you could say dot uh, net core is running on node so you know do you consider that node or do you do you consider node uh, as just native node with maybe Mongo or, or NoSQL or, or maybe even uh, SQL Server. Uh, can you talk on that? Sure. Um, well, as far as node goes, why, why a company would want to embrace node, I think the biggest thing is the ecosystem. And I think the ecosystem is large because it is a technology that can be used front-end and back-end. You know, the, the browser speaks in JavaScript, and though... Other languages can maybe compile to JavaScript, like Go, or uh, I guess Rust can do WebAssembly. But JavaScript is the language of the browser, and it's going to be that way for, for a few more years at least. Um, and being able to have the same things on the front end and the back end that you're able to transition between the two makes it really easy. So that makes a large ecosystem. Think of something like Lodash. Lodash is a, a JavaScript utility that's got all sorts of small helper functions, and you can use that both in Node on the back end and you can use it on the front end. Um, that oh, that's a great explanation. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the community and the libraries uh, are making development faster. Would you say is that one reason why you like Node is uh, the libraries themselves are are making things more abstract and quicker for you to produce uh, pr produce results? Yeah, that is one of the main reasons. Um, if you look at GitHub, the, the number one language that is used there, there are more JavaScript repositories than anything else. There's just a lot of code to help you get going fast that you can just build on top of. Hmm. 
Um, what what is uh, I hear some companies in Utah they're they're moving to go, and uh, I was kind of surprised on that. You know that they're actually taking their whole code set and moving it to go. Uh, what is your feeling on Go? I think Go is pretty good. Go is I I use that. I have almost over the past year at my current job, and uh, it doesn't have the ecosystem that JavaScript does. I think that's why I'd focus on that being the big differentiator for JavaScript. But it's catching up. There are a lot of things that are being made in Go. There's a lot of uh, cloud native technology that's built in Go, and I think Go's big strong suit is first its simplicity. It's not an extremely complicated language, really. Uh, there's really most of the most of the time, the solution is just use a for loop, just use a, a switch case statement, and make some functions. And there's there's not a whole lot more to it than that, really. That's probably its biggest pro. The second thing is Go routines. It it was built from the ground up for concurrency, and it works really mm. well with that. Um, that's the downside to JavaScript is it's single-threaded. And so if you have anything that's CPU-bound, you're going to run into a bottleneck there. Whereas with Go, it's very cheap to spin up a new Go routine. They're just, they're just a green thread implementation. Um, but it's really easy to parallelize your work as necessary, which I think is why it's going to catch on for uh, web technologies. Yeah, that is a really good reason um... To, go, to use Go is a concurrency because concurrency is complex enough just to understand and manage. Uh, but also to have that on the server where you want to get scalability, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. What about Flutter? Uh, is that something that you've looked at or is that just something that um, is still, you consider still uh, prototype? That's a good question. You know, I haven't experimented with Flutter really at all. I'm aware of it, but I haven't really heard of um, anyone using it in, in production. Not that I know personally, anyways. Um, so I, I'm interested to see where it goes. But so far, not so impressed with, I guess, the traction that it's getting. It doesn't seem to be growing as quickly as something like Go has. Go has taken the world by storm, it seems. It's growing very quickly. Even though it's not used a ton right now, there there's still quite a few key players that have embraced Go, like Uber, um, that are really pushing the ecosystem by releasing their own tools, which will help things move along. But I don't believe that Flutter really has that backing that might be necessary to get a language out there and get people embracing it. Nice. Well, uh, our time's about up. Uh, do you want to share anything that you find exciting? Oh, that's a good question. The most exciting things that I get to work with every day are, are machine learning mostly. Um, at my company, we are building detectors that will help detect personally identifiable information across people's infrastructure. Um, and being able to work with the data scientists directly, as I, as I said before, has been an eye-opening experience on, on how machine learning works and what the uh, applications of that are. So it's been pretty amazing. You know, it's uh, I have a it's interesting because I was reading uh, just the other day about a group that they built, they're into deep learning and they built a operating system and the operating system, they said, well, the major uh, aha moment was realizing that they could put a AI piece that for handling the routing 
to go to different learning networks. Wow. And so they're one of the challenges that has always been with deep learning and machine learning is that you have a whole series of inputs, but you have to have models that exist that can make predictions. And so trying to figure out which model to route to is very difficult. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting that he said they build an operating system. That is very interesting. I hadn't heard of anybody using machine learning or deep learning in that way. I'll have to look yeah. at that. Yeah, so they, the, they, they use the, the deep learning or the neural net to actually take the inputs and route to different networks in the operating system. So they, the claim was is they now treat these, uh, these classifiers or these uh, uh, different algorithms as almost like drivers on an operating system. You just plug in. And then uh, inputs are routed to them and predictions are being made. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just really think this deep learning and neural nets are, are going to change a lot. Even when we talk about, you know, UI, mm -hmm. I think you're going to be able to do some designs and show the computer kind of what you want and let it, you know, generate your code because it'll do it so much faster for you and mm -hmm. less mistakes, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that's coming. Great. Well, thanks, Kyle, and um, appreciate you sharing your knowledge on React. I know it's very important. I, I see a I see a lot of uh, companies that they're look they're sitting on legacy Angular code, but they can't find the talent to do the Angular, so they're now switching over to React because there's a larger population of developers that are learning React. Yeah, there's certainly no shortage of that. It's a very good business decision, I'd say, to switch to React. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Yes, thank you very much, David. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Okay, bye.